Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, where we discuss all things mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. To get more information and resources, visit the website at therapyforblackgirls.com. And while I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 36 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. Today, I have a real treat for anyone who's looking to have a stronger and healthier relationship with their current partner or future partner. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Ayana Abrams. Dr. Abrams is a licensed clinical psychologist in the Atlanta metro area and CEO founder of Ascension Behavioral Health, LLC. She obtained her master's and doctorate in clinical psychology at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology with an emphasis on ethnically, culturally diverse individuals and couples and families. She completed her pre-doctoral internship and postdoctoral fellowship at Emory University's Counseling and Psychological Services. Dr. Abrams' specialties include working with transitional age youth, 16 and older, college and graduate and professional students, young professionals, entrepreneurs, and adults. Her areas of focus include relationship and marital distress or confusion, anxiety, depression, trauma, stress management, grief, and life transitions. She has extensive experience and specializes in work with people of color, specifically Black women and Black couples, and uses her advanced training in emotionally focused couples therapy to help relationships repair and thrive. She enjoys providing consultations and guest speaking opportunities to organizations, schools, churches, hospitals, and other media. She has also been featured on Huffington Post Live. Dr. Abrams and I chatted about how she uses EFT, or Emotionally Focused Therapy, to work with couples. We talked about what this looks like in the therapy office, how our fights are typically not about the things we think they are, and she shares how she might work with some of your favorite TV couples. This is definitely one you don't want to miss. Here's our conversation. So thank you so much for joining us today, Ayana. Thank you for having me, Joy. I'm excited. So I am very happy to have you here today to talk with us about couples therapy. Um, so we've had some marriage and family therapists on the um, podcast before, but we have not delved specifically into what it looks like for a couple to be in couples therapy. So I'm happy you were able to join us today. So one of the first things that I wanted to talk about is this idea that I often hear about if a couple needs therapy, then that means they're already doomed. So what are your thoughts about that? Of course, they are not doomed. I get it, though. I get it. There's a sense that, you know, couples often come in with um, is that this means that we are at the end and that there's nothing. So this is our, our last resort. Um, and I would really love couples to come in before you get to that point of crisis. Um, you know, going to couples therapy, going to any kind of therapy, but particularly couples therapy 
is typically it tells me um, that it's a sign of how valuable this relationship is to you, how meaningful it is, um, that you want to be able to figure things out because you want to spend, you know, the rest of your life or kind of however long, you know, with this person. So it actually tells me how important this relationship is, not at all a sign of doom. Um, but I will say that because of that hallmark of this means that things are so bad, you know, the research shows that that couples typically wait between like five, I think five and like seven years after the thing has already been so bad to actually find a therapist. So they wait a really, really long time to seek help. Right. Yeah, I definitely heard that stat, too. Um, you know, and I think that's probably true for also also for individual therapy, right? Like yeah. people mull over the idea of going to a therapist for a long time, typically before they actually make that call. Yeah. Versus yeah. having, you know, using therapy as something that can be more preventative, more um, skills building, more strength building, because a lot of things that we talk about in couples therapy, you're not taught um, as children or in your kind of everyday life or through school. Um, so some, so for often for couples, um, it's a whole new way of interacting with each other. And so do you have any tips for somebody who may be listening who wants to go to couples therapy and thinks that them and their partner should go, um, but the partner is reluctant? Like any tips for like how to talk somebody into it? That happens often. Um, <laughs> you see that a lot where one, where one partner um, and in, in my, it, with the particular, the particular theory that I use, emotionally focused therapy, um, there's often one partner who's the withdrawer and one partner who is the pursuer. So we'll often see the pursuer be the one who pursues therapy, right? Let's get this fixed. Let's kind of do this. And the withdrawer is kind of like, uh, I'm getting dragged in here, but I'll do it because he wants to do it or I'll do it because she wants to do it. Um, so what I recommend to when I'm working even with individuals who have some concerns and want to talk about it um, is to first thing, do not use ultimatums. Do not say that if we don't do this, then this will happen. Do not use therapy as a threat. Um, I understand that that can, that can kind of get some of your partners in the room, but that's a really, really rocky way to start um, therapy with them really not kind of buying into the work. Uh, but I would recommend speaking from the place of, of what you are feeling. So use of I statements, I'm always talking about that with my couples. I am feeling worried. I'm really scared that this is not going to last. And I really, really care about you, this relationship, us, our family. Um, you know, I'm starting to get more and more nervous that we're not going to be able to figure this out. And I really just want some other eyes on us to help us through these things. Um, so really speaking from what's happening for you internally versus the blaming or the shaming or you did this so now we got to go to therapy um, those kind of back backwards ways to get somebody into therapy can also make the therapy a little bit more contentious at the beginning um, so I always always recommend speak from your heart and let your partner know that hey I actually want to go because I really like this I really like you I really love you and I want this to continue but there's some things that we're just not able to get right and I really think somebody else could help us and be able to kind of wash that over your partner. Yeah, those sound like some really amazing tips. I mean, even listening to you, Ayana, I felt even more at ease. So I feel like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah like if you yeah. can talk with your partner about, um, you know, like the concerns that you have as opposed to blaming them, I think mm -hmm. that that definitely will try to, you know, at least give you a little bit more of a chance that they might buy into it. Exactly. It just anything we can do to kind of set up less defensiveness because therapy is hard enough as it is. Couples therapy is hard enough as it is. So we, we really don't want it to begin again, with that level of contention, it happens though. Sometimes it, it does feel as though one partner is dragged in. So the therapist has to do a lot more work to create some buy-in, um, particularly when I work with um, uh, couples of color. But again, that's our role versus what are ways in which you two are able to kind of communicate and connect just to get you into the room. We'll figure it out once you get in here. 
<laughs> right, right. So you mentioned that you um, specialize in emotionally focused therapy. Can you tell yes. us more about what that is and what that looks like with couples? Yes, I love it so much, so much, so much. Actually, I really, I'm, I'm sad and even a little bit salty that, that I wasn't taught this more in my training in graduate school um, because it's been a theory that I've gravitated towards immediately as soon as I went to my first training on it. So emotionally focused therapy um, was developed as a theory in the 80s that really focuses on attachment. Um, and essentially when we're talking about couples, we're talking about your attachment styles and how this shows up in a couple, um, depending on how secure you feel in your relationship or how insecure you feel in your relationship. Your emotions show up and then you react to things based on what your emotions are telling you. Um, so EFT particularly uses emotions as data. Our emotions tell a story. It tells us what's going on. It tells us what we're hurt by. It tells us what we like. It tells us kind of what allows us to feel connected. And the therapy really focuses on getting down to the basics of what your emotional response is when something comes up. Um, so it's really, really cool when I'm in the office and I can really kind of pick up on cues um, that partners give each other. And then it sends them off on this whole tangent. And the partner has no clue what just happened. But I can see, oh, well, you rolled your eyes. That's a cue, right? It sent your client, it sent your partner um, into kind of feeling whichever way. And now they're responding to that. So emotions kind of really, really show up and manifest in these ways. And so EFT is looking to use emotions to communicate on a deeper level with each other versus just kind of surface level stuff, which is what, I, which is how a lot of couples engage. Um, so it brings you down to that primary emotion and gets the two creating connection with each other from their deepest darkest, right? Kind of sometimes scariest of emotions. Um, and with that vulnerability that it creates, it leads to a lot of change and repair in couples. So it sounds like you're talking about like some really deep level stuff, oh, yeah. Ayana. <laughs> and, yeah. And you know, I think a lot of times when we hear um, people talk about couples or even thinking about going to couples therapy, the main thing that comes up is communication, right? Um, and, but it does feel like sometimes communication is a catch-all for mm -hmm. some of this deeper level stuff that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I've always put communication in quotation marks because it's not about that. Mm -hmm. um, communication is usually kind of a symptom of a larger thing. Like how you are talking about something um, is, is the way in which you have learned to express how you're feeling about something, right? So once we kind of get down to the, the base, we kind of slice it as thin as we can, then you begin to communicate differently. You begin to talk to your partner differently, verbally and non-verbally, um, to really communicate what's happening for you, right? But oftentimes, a lot of people don't even know the depths of what they're feeling. They're just used to communicating in this way. When I get mad, I do this. You know, when I get sad, I don't talk to you anymore um, versus being able to communicate, man, that's the thing that makes me really sad, like at my core. And when I feel that way, this is what's going on for me. Um, again, it, it leads to such a softening in your partner when they see essentially what's going on behind the scenes of however it manifests. Um, and that's really, really cool to see partners be able to do that kind of work. You see the softening, you see their body language change, you see their shoulders drop, um, they turn towards each other. It's really, really great to witness that. So this sounds like some powerful things you have happening in your therapy office, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I know that it is a lot of work to get to that place. So um, what kinds of things are you doing with your couples that allow them to get to the place where there is this softening? So I would say that the, the first thing we're looking at is, um, particularly in the EFT is also a stage theory model, but we're looking at de-escalation first and foremost. Oftentimes when couples come in, they're not turning towards each other. They're coming in because they turn away from each other. They're coming in because they're distant. They're mad. 
Um, they don't feel loved or cared for. Um, they don't feel desired. So a lot of the work that we're doing in the first stage, the first few sessions, first few months of the therapy is just bringing the hostility down. Because oftentimes there's also anger and resent um, and really, you know, nasty words and kind of really, really poor communication that's more hostile and abusive. Um, so we can't do any work until you two are de-escalated. We can't do any work until you can believe that, hey, there's something else going on behind the scenes to really get to versus this other person is the bad guy. Uh, one of the first things I usually tell, talk to couples about, even when they're coming in for the intake, um, the assessment series is no one person is to blame for any reason that you guys are here now. We're looking at an interaction between you two. So it's not that you are the identified issue or you are the identified issue. It's about how you two are relating to each other based on whatever it is that's going on, which also relates to infidelity, all these things. Oftentimes couples come in saying they did the thing. So if you, Dr. Abrams, just fix them, we'll be all good. Just make them, you know, talk to me more or just make them love me more or make them, you know, stop cheating. Then we're fine. But there's a whole bunch of other things that are under that. Um, so first stage, we're looking at de uh, de-escalation, you know, um, reducing or eliminating the hostility that couples have towards each other, the resent, um, the contempt that they have towards each other. And then we can do a deeper bit of work around understanding what's going on under all that or behind the scenes. So what are some strategies you use to help with de-escalation? So, it's a, well, it's a lot of talking, it's mm -hmm. a lot of talking. Um, so typically what we will do after we've kind of made it through the assessment phase and I get more of a sense of where you two are as a couple, but I also get a lot of history about what's going on um, or what has happened to you in your childhood. Who are your relationship role models? You know, what have you seen of attachment and love? Because that shows up a lot um, in how you are in relationship with people. We're really just looking at examples of when you guys get to your worst places. So what I'll say is, you know, in the last few weeks, can a name and an argument or a conflict that we can just process today? Like how connected are you feeling to each other? What's leading to the disconnection? So they might bring in an argument literally about the dishwasher. And when I say literally, it's because dishwasher comes up so much in this office, <laughs> so much, right? So somebody might say, you know, they don't load the dishwasher. So I feel like I'm doing all the work in the kitchen and I don't feel helped by this person. I come home and there's always dishes in the sink. As soon as you mention dishes, I know we're not talking about dishes. You think you're talking about dishes, but I know that we're not. Um, so what I'll do is I'll, we call it kind of unpacking. I'll unpack what's going on in that whole scenario of the dishwasher with one partner. So I'll say, hey, you came home and you said this. What did that say to you that you come home and the dishes are not washed, right? So partner A might say, you know, literally it says to me that they don't care. They don't care what happens around here and, you know, they're just using me and, you know, they don't care about how the household runs. They just, they get to do whatever they do and go to bed early while I'm cleaning the house. Um, as we unpack that a little bit more, we get down to that piece. I'll slow them down around the man. You don't feel cared for. That's got to be really hard, right? To know that this person who you have dedicated your life to doesn't care about you after all these years. Tell me what that's like. Um, so we're doing what we call it is kind of a heightening. We're heightening their negative emotion. And essentially, the more and more that is heightened, we want them to talk to their partner from that heightened place, not just the you don't wash the dishes. We actually want them to say things like, man, I feel really alone when I come home and, you know, these dishes are here. I feel like you don't care about me. I feel like, you know, we joined this arrangement or kind of we joined into this marriage and we don't feel like a team. I don't feel like, you know, I'm your partner. Once we get to that, we have a whole different conversation. 
entirely different conversation. And essentially what we're doing is we're going back and forth with partners doing that. The more and more and more they do that in the office is the more and more they can do that um, outside and actually in their marriage or in their relationship. Um, and it changes the nature of how they talk to each other. Okay. And so what is the next step after de-escalation? So the next step after de-escalation is kind of doing a little bit more of that because um, what we call it is we're, 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 um, we're mapping kind of who in, how people interact. So when I was mentioning kind of pursuer and distancer, mm -hmm. I mean, I always give my clients this example. So, so typically we'll have a pursuer and a distancer. So the pursuer in the relationship is the one who typically wants things to be figured out quickly right? They can't kind of sit with conflict for very long. They just want to know that, hey, you care about them. Let's talk about this now. Let's not wait till tonight. Let's not go to bed angry. Let's do this now. Um, and oftentimes we'll have the other partner who is a withdrawer who avoids stuff. I don't want to talk about it now. It makes me too anxious. I get too sad. I get too worried. So essentially what develops is this circular cycle, which we call the chase, right? So the pursuer is trying to get to the distancer, right? The withdrawer and the withdrawer is running away the whole time. Right. So then the pursuer does more of the pursuing, like, no, you got to talk to me now. We got to figure this out. And the withdrawal is going away. So what we're doing is we're trying to figure out what where their role is kind of in this quote unquote dance. And once people know what their interaction styles are, it really, really changes um, how they communicate with each other, not even just in their relationship, but just in general with people, um, because they recognize, oh, yeah, because when you do that and when you yell at me and when you criticize me, I don't like it. So I go into the living room or I go to bed early or something like that. And the pursuer might be able to say, when you withdraw and you go and watch TV for hours, I feel so unloved. Um, so once we get to those kind of primary emotions, the unloved, the rejected, the sad, the scared, the fearful, uh, we have them do a lot of communicating from that stage, right? So now things are de-escalated. We've got a whole bunch of other emotions in there, deeper emotions. Now we're using those words as part of their language, right? So now when I hear them say something, oh, you said sad. Can you talk to your partner from the, the place that gets you really, really sad? And then once they're able to communicate like that, we usually see that softening and that change in terms of how they're able to view themselves, but also how they're able to view their partner. All right. And then what is our next stage? How many stages are there? There's three basic stages. That's, that's okay. actually all um, uh, within a same stage because the second stage actually we do the de-escalation and partners kind of know what their dance is in the cycle. Mm -hmm. The second stage, we might take some steps back to really incorporate, okay, there are, there are ways in which you guys are interacting in this relationship that predated this relationship. There are things that have happened in your childhood. There are messages that you've received about your love worthiness that really show up here in, in your insecurity. So we're wanting to kind of pull more um, from these kind of models of self, you know, that you have. So what is this kind of tapping into for you? What is this activating? So, um, for example, like say I have a client, say I have a, a, a partner in a couple who has experienced some level of trauma. Um, I might use something that's coming up now to say, man, and you know what I'm envisioning, you know, is that time when you didn't feel loved when you were 15. Is that what's coming up for you right now? And they're able to say, yeah, that's exactly what it reminds me of. And then we get to unpack a whole new level of work um, because we're now attaching it to things um, that are related to way before the partner came around. Mm -hmm. um, and what's really great about those moments is that oftentimes when I'm working with one partner, the other partner really gets to see this person talk in a whole new way. And they just sit back and they're just listening because they love it. They're just like, you don't talk to me like this. So please keep talking, whatever <laughs> it is, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's stuff that's really difficult for them to hear, they're just like, oh my goodness, you are talking. Like, this is good stuff regardless. Um, 
So again, it's really also important for, for the partner be, to be able to kind of witness their other partner's transformation because what happens outside of the room is that you guys are just going back and forth so fast that you don't know what's happening. You're just lining up your defense. You're just lining up the next thing to say, the next you know rebuttal, the next thing that says I am right, you are wrong versus just sitting and you have to listen to your partner when you're in this space. Sometimes I am a referee. I got the timeouts, I got the whistles, I got all the stuff, but um, it really forces you to sit and listen to where your partner is coming from and really see them or see their hurt or see their pain. Um, and oftentimes that also creates a different level of connection. You see their humanness. You don't see this monster who's yelling at you. You see your husband and you haven't really seen him for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it does sound like a lot of it, or at least some parts of it could be almost like you're doing individual therapies just with a witness. Yes, there. Mm -hmm. it can often, oftentimes feel like that, but it's really, really great to have the partner bear witness to you tapping into these other parts of yourself. Right. Okay. So I thought it would be fun um, and a good way to kind of illustrate the work that you do and what that looks like in real life if we talked about a couple of our favorite TV couples. Yes. And some of the issues that they have and what it might look like if they were your clients. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's get into all this. All right. Yeah. So let's let's start with one um, that is kind of probably top of mind for a lot of people um, from Insecure. Of course, we've all heard and read and listened to tons of stuff about people dissecting Insecure. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm curious to hear your take on um, the, the dynamic between Issa and Lawrence and like the issues with them and what that might look like if you work with them. Ooh, I have dissected them so many times. <laughs> oh, I wish, when I say I wish they would show up on my couch, please, please. Um, and again, depending on the stage of so, so if we're looking at kind of season one versus kind of season two, but say we're just kind of putting everything together and they are not broken up, they are working towards reconciliation of stuff. Um, essentially what we're dealing with and what EFT goes to first is it's a hot potato in the room when there's infidelity. When one partner has cheated or when both parts are cheating, we have to attack that piece. Um, because if we don't attack that and unpack that, it's not safe to go any other direction. Really, we really, really have to figure out what's going there. Um, so essentially what also comes up is that as a therapist, I also have to rule out um, things that make the therapy unsafe for a couple. And a lot of people don't think about these things, but there are um, reasons for couples to not seek therapy at this time or reasons that they're not a good fit. Um, so one of the main ones is an active affair. If there's one partner having an active affair, it's not emotionally safe for the partners to be in therapy. Because essentially EFT is about creating connection. So I can't have a space where one partner is doing the work to get more connected and this other partner has one foot out of the door. Um, so in the assessment process, I'm doing a full assessment of affairs, if there's something active, when it ended, that you've ended contact. Um, that is a, uh, a non-negotiable. There cannot be an active affair while you engage in this work. It tells me that you're not ready to do this. Um, so infidelity would be the first thing that we would um, look at, and I would need to know um, that Issa, what's, what's going on with Daniel? What's, where, where, where's that at? When's the last time you talked to him? Have you completely cut off contact? Have you had the conversation? It kind of really, really sets those boundaries. The way Issa's acting now, obviously not, so they actually wouldn't be a good, <laughs> the best fit because she is still dealing with Daniel, um, but if she were able to say, no, I'm not dealing with him, I've set the boundaries, and I really want to work on my relationship with um, Lawrence, then we're clear to go there. Um, the other part that also feels important to address, um, which is another reason that, that couples kind of come into um, therapy, is when one partner might be struggling with a mental health issue, um, which I also didn't notice a lot of people talking about, but Lawrence was very clearly depressed 
particularly in season one. Um, so that would also need to be something that we are addressing in terms of what signal or kind of what sign does that send Issa when Lawrence is not able, right, to be the best partner to her, right? So a scenario that we could unpack, say they say Issa, Issa, Issa's birthday was last week and they come in session and she is just so upset. He, we didn't even do any much for my birthday. I got home and he was on the couch, you know, shirtless with some, you know, sweatpants on and gave me this crusty, dusty kiss. And I just didn't feel like he cared about me. Like, it is my birthday. Um, so we would have to unpack a lot of that in terms of what that said to Issa, that she comes home after year four or five in this relationship and she doesn't feel cared about, right? Um, she doesn't feel valued. She doesn't feel prioritized. Um, and it kind of taps into how she's been feeling in the relationship the whole time. But we'd really look at that particular um, scenario. Like, what'd you feel when you got home and you saw him sitting on the couch? What did that say to you? You know, and she might say something like, he forgot. It might, she might say something like, I feel like I'm last on his list. Um, so we're looking at, at key phrases like that, because when I come back and talk to her about this um, scenario, I'm going to keep saying things to her like that. Like, man, that's got to be really, really sad to feel like this person who you have, you know, been with for five years, that you're last on his list. Gosh, my heart breaks for you. Can you tell me what that's like for you? And I'm just doing that over and over and over again. Um, and then when Issa's able to get to a point of talking about not feeling cared for, not feeling loved, not feeling valued, we'll have her talk to Lawrence from that place. Because as you see in the episode, she's not saying any of that to him. Right. She's just annoyed with him. Her body language is all cold. Like she's rolling her eyes. That's what he sees. And he's probably very scared of that. So he doesn't really know what to do with it. But if she's able to say, man, I don't feel valued, we turn it to um, Lawrence and have her say those things to him. Um, and ideally, ideally, Lawrence would be able to say, that was never my intention. I've just been feeling so blah, 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 blah. And I understand that you feel this way. And I know that it's not okay. Um, and I want to do better. I never want you to feel like I don't care about you. You are the top of my list. I'm doing this for us, like a Dwayne Wayne moment, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, we would have her then respond to him saying that, because essentially we want her to take the risk, right, to get really, really vulnerable with him, right, share how she feels. We want him to be able to catch it and hold her in that, but we then want her to have this corrective experience that says, oh man, maybe he is there. I couldn't tell, but in talking to him like this, oh, maybe he does love me. Maybe he does care about me. Um, and that, that's essentially what we're doing over and over and over again um, to help repair the couple. All right. Good stuff. So our second couple, Bo and Dre from Blackish. Woo! They got some whole <laughs> other dynamics. Whole other dynamics. Um, so I, really, I mean, I love that show. While it, while it kind of hits up against some strings because... Dre has some ways in which he talks to Bo and talks to these children that I can't really get down with. Um, you know, what I can see them coming in with is saying, hey, we don't communicate well. I can see that being a clear, clear thing. Nothing around infidelity, um, nothing about around, you know, deeper attachment injuries, um, but just, you know, when we get this way and he starts talking like this, I just don't feel connected to him. Or another thing that can come up with them is that, you know, we're being impacted because Dre's family lives here and I don't really know if I can deal with that anymore. Um, so say Bo were to come in talking about, you know, how Dre's mom is there and Dre's dad is there and it really gets in the way of their communication and, um, she feels like Dre maybe doesn't understand her anymore. 
um, again, we'd go the we'd go the same direction uh, with Bo in terms of you know, well, tell me what's that what that's like to not feel understood by your partner of such and such years, and after how many? I think they got like five kids now. How many children? Right. Um, and we really want to validate and empathize with whatever the person is feeling. It's not on the therapist to say you shouldn't be feeling like that. Don't you understand that they didn't mean that? So you shouldn't be. No, no, no. It's about just validating. Man, of course you would feel like that. Of course, after all of these years, when he comes home and says that, you know, you need to be working more so that you guys can make some more money. Of course, that hurts. It makes complete sense. Um, so we're doing a lot of that with both couples. And then essentially what she might say is, yeah, I try to have these conversations with him and he just doesn't get it. He's not listening to me. He's going off on some rant about racism and sexism and all this stuff. And I just feel like I can't get through to him. He does not listen to me. Um, so what we'll unpack is that must feel really hard to not feel listened to, right? Um, that must feel really sad. It must feel really isolating, really lonely. We really go into that with her uh, until she's really, really feeling it. You can see it in her eyes. She might be crying. Um, she might not be able to talk. She might feel more choked up. And that's exactly the place that I want to talk to her. Talk, I want her to talk to Dre from. Not the place of, you need to listen to me, and I don't want to talk to you anymore because you don't listen. I want Dre to see her and see how much pain that she's in and to hear her speak from that tone of voice, right? From that kind of like... It's all the way in your gut. You feel it all the way down there. That's exactly where we want couples communicating from. Because that's where people feel most connected. When it feels real, when it feels raw, um, that's where the connection is. So once she's able to communicate to Dre from that place, ideally, ideally, Dre would be able to hold that, to kind of understand it, um, to say, you know, I never meant for you to feel that way. I was just thinking this, um, and I wish I could be better for you. Um, and, you know, maybe I do need to revisit what's going on with my parents being in the home, and I don't want that to get in the way because you are so valuable to me. Um, and then Bo would come back and say, now that felt really good. It felt like he listened to me. It felt like he heard me. It felt like he loves me. Um, and then again, we just do that a number of times. Just couples have a ton of examples every week that they come in with. So we usually just kind of pick one or two things, and we're just doing the same kind of themes um, over and over again. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the family piece because that felt particularly relevant around the recent episode um, related to postpartum depression for her and how, you know, the mother-in-law got really involved with it. Absolutely. Right. So I can see a couple coming in like, well, she just kicked my mom out. Right. So now we have a whole nother thing to work with. Right. Because now there's other people involved in this, um, but his not his being protective of his, you know, family of origin, his mom, as well as his like family of creation. What do I do in this place? So actually in, in that moment, if I were to start with Dre, you can start with any, any partner in a session, but say I were to start with that, what we would really unpack is maybe how stuck he feels in some of these moments. Like sometimes I don't really know what to do. I love these women or these people in my life so much. And it's, it's really important for me to have my family there for whatever reason, right? And sometimes I just feel stuck. So I just don't do anything. I just let them deal with it. I just, it, it, I feel so helpless. Um, I don't want to get in the middle of it. I'm so worried about people being mad at me and me kind of messing up because I want to be the man of the house. All these different models can come up. You really get to see what it taps into for people that you would never think. Like I will have partners while I'm unpacking something with a partner, just be in awe. Like what? I had no clue you were scared. I had absolutely no clue this made you sad. I just thought you were angry and slamming doors. I had no clue that when you slam a door, you would sit on the bed and cry right and they would have no clue because after that point happens outside when they're at home they're not talking to each other 
Um, so it really gets them to like slow down in some of those moments. And what I've noticed is that individuals also learn a lot more about themselves. They're like, man, I didn't think I was sad, but I think that is it. I didn't think that I was scared, but I think I was really scared to say something to her because I thought that she might reject what I was saying. Um, so a lot of times the individual also builds a lot of insight about what's going on with them in ways in which they didn't know before. Got it. All right, one more for you, and this is a throwback couple. Um, so, yeah. so Whitley and Dwayne from A Different World. Woo, Whitley and Dwayne. They had so much stuff, so much stuff. Actually, it was, it's, on, um, it's on repeat someday. It's, it's syndicated, so I was actually just watching it last week while they were on my mind. Um, but it was, the, it was an episode where Dwayne had gone to, I think it was Japan for the summer stuff, and he brought back this whole girlfriend, mm-hmm. like a whole entire person. And Willie did not, she was ready to like confess her love to him and like ready to be with him. And here's this other person involved. So as we had talked about a little bit with um, the infidelity from um, before, if there is some kind of attachment elsewhere, we really have to process what that looks like um, between the two of them. I do think that if Whitley and Dwayne were to, Dwayne Wayne were to have gotten in couples therapy, after a few sessions, she... Kinu, I need to not call her something that Whitley called her. Kinu um, would, um, Dwayne could have realized um, what was kind of going on there and that he really did want to be with Whitley. But after that, we've now got this whole repair process of, okay, we have both been in love with somebody else. It was Kinu and I think Whitley had Byron. She was going to marry Byron. Right. Right. So at that juncture, we've really got to look at, okay, what are the things about our relationship that uh, we love and that we like, and what are things that we want to work on? Um, so with them, once the people have, quote, unquote, you know, gotten rid, gotten, gotten rid of, sounds terrible, but, you know, moved away from um, other love interests, what we can also do is sessions called, like, affirming sessions. So a lot of people think that couples therapy is just about coming in and ragging on the other partner. This is terrible. This is terrible. You do this. I hate this we'll have these moments in session where I just want to hear what's going well between you two and to do the same kind of work, right? That, Hey, when you wash the dishes and clean up, I feel like this is a partnership. I feel like we are really on the same team and I can relax in myself. Um, or, you know, when I come home and you know, you flirt with me, that makes me feel desirable. Right. And for a long time, I struggled with body image and it's really, really important for me to feel desired by you. So those things tell me those things are really, really like when you do that. It just, it reaffirms for couples that, hey, there are some things that we are doing well. Um, and sometimes that's really, not oftentimes it's really important to remind couples, hey, you're also here because there's stuff that you do well. Let's not gloss over that stuff because things feel so bad right now. Um, so I might do some more um, affirmations with Dwayne and Whitley because they do a lot of stuff well. The way in which they get along, their banter, um, the way in which they support each other when one person's going through stuff, like when, you know, Dwayne Wayne lost his job, we'll do a lot of affirming work in those moments, right? What's helpful that Whitley does in these moments where you are feeling like you can't contribute to your marriage, right? And he'll say something like, you know, well, Whitley was willing to give up her fur coats. <laughs> I know she's lying, but like, that's a big deal for me. Like, so we're looking at stuff like that as well to kind of, so you can remind the partners individually, you're not messing everything up because that gets really, really defeating versus man, there are these glimpses where that love shows up. Let's look at how to replicate those things. Nice. So all of these things that you're talking about, Ayana, definitely does not sound like something that is wrapped up in like three sessions. Um, So is there like a standard time or like, you know, like what might this look like? How long would a couple maybe be in therapy to kind of work through some of this stuff? 
You know, I, I wish there was an easy answer to that. It really depends on what couples are coming in with. Um, I will have couples come in and say, okay, you know, in six sessions, by the end of 2017, we should be good to go by 2018. And I'm like, listen, I, I wish I was that good, but maybe mm -hmm. I'm, no, this is not that. Um, so it, it, because it, it deter, it depends on what couples are coming in with. So if there's a couple who's experiencing or has had some history of trauma, typically the therapy is going to take longer, right? We have to, we have to be really, really mindful of triggering clients with different things. Um, if there's been a history of violence um, in the relationship, we got to go a lot slower, a lot, lot slower, because we need both partners to be safe, physically safe and emotionally safe while we do this work. Again, if there's been an affair, things are going to take longer. We've got some unpacking of, the, of stuff to do before we can kind of get to um, the stages of you being able to kind of repair and kind of reconnect. So, you know, while EFT, um, emotionally focused therapy, is um, kind of touted, kind of promoted as a short-term therapy, there are more clients coming in who are experiencing trauma. So just by nature of that, the work could look like six weeks to six years. Um, it really depends. But once you're in the work and you really see the value in it, couples are much less worried about time. Couples kind of come in with their stuff and have their stories to tell and have their things to kind of process. And they're less concerned about, oh, we have been here for this many years. This should have been done by now because they're getting a benefit from it, right? They're getting a benefit. They feel closer. They feel like they know each other more. They feel like they know themselves more. So they do less tracking of that. But at the beginning, the tracking shows up like, hey, okay, a few weeks of this and we should be good to go. And it's never it's never that way because people are humans, right? And if you're coming in with, after you've been married for 20 years, we might have a lot to talk about. <laughs> right, probably. Um, probably. Yeah, we have, we have a lot of things to go into. So, yeah, so, but the only reasons in which couples therapy actually wouldn't recommend it starting, essentially, is again, if there's an active affair, um, if there is abuse um, in the relationship, I really appreciated your podcast um, about the six, six types of abuse um, mm -hmm. in a relationship. If any of those are... are present, pervasive, and or persistent, we've really got to look at that those things can't be the case. So I would recommend them doing individual work to figure that stuff out before they enter couples work um, because it activates a lot of those abuse cycles, uh, which puts people in dangerous situations, um, as well as addiction. Addiction is, um, again, if there's an active addiction, it's usually not the best time for a couple to be in therapy. Um, although EFT is really, really leading the way on um, creating more spaces where couples can process their addiction. There's a whole bunch of new research um, that's coming out about that. So um, I'm really looking forward to what's coming up with EFT and addiction um, in the recent news and how partners who are recovering from any kind of substance use or gambling or any kind of addiction, um, they found that couples therapy is actually very healing to the individual with the addiction. Um, so it's, it, there's a lot, a lot of cool research coming out um, with EFT. So I'm just, I'm, I'm pumped. Really, really pumped. <laughs> yeah, you're very clearly excited about all of Ooh, it. Oh, I love it. Ooh, which, I love is, it. which is great, right? Like when you really love what you do, then that shows up in the work you do with your clients. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I've always found couples therapy to be meaningful. And people typically kind of isolate it to like marital or just about the couple. But we're also dealing with, you know, this is a family dynamic here. They're parents. And you know, the ways in which people respond in a couple and really kind of heal themselves within that, that lasts for generations, right? Now you have a new way of, of how you're interacting with people who you love, which shows up in parenting, which shows up at work, shows up with your friends, shows up in all these other relationships. So it's not really isolated to the couple, which is why I like how EFT is a much more transformative process um, versus some other um, uh, couples therapies. You see how generalized the impact is 
all across the board. And I find that also very important with more, more so important with um, couples of color um, because of all the messages that we've received about, you know, not being worthy of love and not being able to do it and statistics show single and infidelity and all this stuff to be able to repair that it actually really can offset generations, right. Of love and how that looks in families. So it's a much bigger deal for me than the relationship, if that makes sense. Right. So we are really talking about when we hear hashtag black love. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> some oh, of the EFT yeah. stuff can really be helpful in promoting that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some of your favorite resources for couples, Ayana? Um, so number one off the bat, um, when I'm talking to couples and even when I'm talking to individuals about things that are going on in their relationships, um, Sue Johnson, who is the, um, she's the woman behind EFT. She has this book called um, Hold Me Tight. Mm -hmm. It's a wildly popular book. And it teaches couples how to have difficult conversations. And essentially that's what therapy is. It's about learning how to have difficult conversations, learning the language for it, but also learning the vulnerabilities within it. Um, and couples, whether they're in therapy or not, it's been a really, really great resource. Oftentimes I have couples read it together They'll read the chapters together and just really kind of process what comes up for them. Um, and then they'll come back and talk about it. It's really, really, um, it's a really great resource that doesn't involve, doesn't have to involve therapy. Um, but the number, the other resources I would absolutely recommend is finding a couples therapist. Um, and you can find a couples therapist on psychology today. Google is great. You can just type in couples therapist and your zip code and you'll get a whole list of stuff that's on psychology today or not. Um, so those are always resources that I give. Um, Sue Johnson also has another book called Love Sense that I recommend for couples just to kind of wash, wash over them more ways in which they can talk about what they're experiencing of their partner. Um, there's another popular couples theorist named uh, John Gottman, and he works with his wife. He's got this book called Seven, Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. Um, so that can be a very good, just more so informational book for couples it doesn't really get into the depths of stuff but just to kind of highlight okay are these principles that actually fit us because oftentimes what couples come in with is that they are basing their relationship off of some other relationship that they've seen either media family whichever it is versus couples deciding what their own principles are and what their own agreements are with each other and for each other um, so that's always really really important um, and i always also always recommend five love languages by Chapman. Um, it teaches you the different styles in which you have learned to love um, and how to make sense of that when that kind of shows up with your partner. So it's a great book for couples to read together. It creates a lot of insight for couples. Those sound like some great books and things to check out. So can you tell us more about your practice, Ayana, and any exciting news or anything that you want to share? Sure. Um, so the name of my practice is Ascension Behavioral Health. Um, I opened up a little over five years ago. I'm located in Decatur, Georgia, um, right near Emory University's campus on Claremont Road. So I've been in practice and most of my focus in my practice is on um, people of color, women of color, and couples of color. Um, it's always been my main focus throughout my training, but um, Atlanta has really, really opened, opened my eyes to kind of what people are dealing with and kind of struggling with. And um, it's become, it's, it's, it's my passion, working with people who um, look like me and also being able to kind of provide a resource, particularly in the Black community, um, when we're still trying to really um, destigmatize therapy. 
Um, so I do a lot of strengths-based work in my practice. Um, oftentimes clients and couples are coming in um, with depression, anxiety. Um, I work with a lot of Emory students and Georgia State and Georgia Tech students um, who are struggling with you know, academic success, perfectionism, um, financial distress, um, just relationships, relationship concerns. Um, I also want to mention that EFT is not only something that's for married partners, um, I also see couples who are doing premarital. I love when premarital couples come in. I'm like, yes, let's get this stuff going now. Only too long. Um, so premarital therapy, relationship therapy, I also call it relationship confusion. Sometimes people are trying to figure out whether they want to continue in a relationship. Um, so that's also fine to come to therapy with. You don't have to figure that stuff out um, on your own. Um, oftentimes couples come in and they're feeling fine, but they just want to kind of learn more about each other. So it's kind of more insight oriented come on in the door, right? It always helps to learn more about what's coming up for you and how that's coming across to other people. Um, so I do a lot of that work, individual and couples wise. Um, in my practice, I do a lot of consultation and speaking engagements, um, speaking with different organizations, speaking with different companies. Um, I do a lot in the community to, de to destigmatize um, mental health and mental illness, um, particularly around black mental health. Um, and why it matters and why it's a lifesaver to really prioritize all aspects of health, but to really, really um, help people understand the benefits of improving your mental health. Um, exciting news that's coming up. I want people to look out for, um, so essentially that Hold Me Tight book that I had mentioned before by Sue Johnson. There are resources, I forgot to mention this, sorry. There are resources for couples that are also called Hold Me Tight Weekends. It's basically a relationship retreat um, for a weekend um, where you'll go in and you will work with some facilitators who understand EFT and the homey type model and you're really getting to kind of practice these kinds of conversations and really doing a lot of repair work um, across a weekend so what I'm hoping to be able to offer beginning next year with some of with one or some of my colleagues is homey tight weekends for black couples Ooh, love oh, it you yeah. love oh, it yeah. I got my hands in it. <laughs> so yeah. um, I really, I really think it's important. Again, one, one in terms of the, the destigmatization, de but also recognizing that um, repairing relationships and repairing love relationships takes a full, full hold on a family, a generation, a community um, in terms of who we look up to and kind of what our role models are. Um, so I really, really think it's important for, for couples to get in there and do this kind of work because it's so transformative. Just from the inside out, you leave EFT therapy a totally different person. Mm -hmm. That sounds amazing, Ayana. So where can people find out more about you and where can they follow you on social media? Yes. Um, so... My website is called Ascension Behavioral Health. Um, so that's www.ascensionbehavioralhealth.com. Um, on my website, I have information about me, the work that I do. Um, I also have a mental health blog uh, where I talk a lot about Insecure. I kind of done some recaps of some episodes. Um, and I'll provide, I usually kind of update information about different speaking engagements in the community that are often free for the community to bring yourself and your families to. Um, so that's the best way to kind of keep on top of um, what's going on with me and to reach out to me. Um, my Facebook page, I do have a, a business page at Ascension Behavioral Health LLC. Um, so I'll also kind of post there and I'll post different articles um, about mental health related news and coverage, um, different things that are going on in the media, different articles that are coming up around um, different mental health issues or social issues that are coming up. 
um, as well as any upcoming events that I'm either going to be participating in or that are going on in the community or just around. I'll post stuff from different cities when they're having mental health conferences and stuff like that. Um, and I can be reached if you wanted to email me uh, for any further questions about me, my practice, my work, EFT, um, at info at drabramsabh.com. That's I-N-F-O at D-R-A-B-R-A-M-S-A-B-H.com. Perfect. And of course, we will include all of that information in the show notes so people can know how to reach out to you. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ayana. I really appreciate it. Yes, this was so much fun. I love talking about couples. <laughs> thank you for having me, Joy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're very welcome. Wow. Now you see why I was so excited to share this conversation with you. Ayana has blessed you with some real knowledge to help you take your relationships to the next level. Make sure to be on the lookout for what she's releasing in 2018 and check out some of the books she suggested. You can find all of this information in the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com session 36. If you'd like to continue digging into this conversation, come on over and join us in the Thrive Tribe, which is the Facebook group for the podcast. You can find it at therapyforblackgirls.com tribe. If you're thinking that 2018 is the time you will finally take to meet with a therapist, make sure to check out the therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com directory to find a therapist in your area. If you're in Atlanta and interested in participating in one of the therapy groups I'll be offering in my practice, head on over to therapyforblackgirls.com shift, S-H-I-F-T. Please continue sharing your thoughts about the episodes with us online. I always enjoy seeing you include us in your Instagram stories and on Twitter. Make sure you're using the hashtag TBG in session so that we can all follow along with the conversation. And please tell someone new about the podcast. Text them right now or whenever it's safe to do so and encourage them to listen. Share your favorite episode with them. Be sure you're following us all across social media so you don't miss any important announcements or helpful tips. You can find us on Twitter at Therapy4, the number four B-Girls, and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Therapy for Black Girls. I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. Bye.